This week on a lively experiment, what can we expect from this year's General Assembly session? It's our annual sit down with leaders in each chamber to get a roadmap on what to look for. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their perspective, Senate Majority Leader Michael McCaffrey, Senate Minority Leader Dennis Algier, and House Majority Leader Chris Blazajewski. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to be back with you for our first program of 2022 with the legislative leadership from the Rhode Island General Assembly. Most of the session, we will be talking about the decisions they and others make up at the State House. Today, we get to speak directly with them for some insight into a session that may go a little more quickly than usual with virtually no budget problems and an election year ahead. So gentlemen, Welcome. Always nice to have you on. Chris, this is your first time uh, in your position. We put you in the middle so you can get it from all sides. Wonderful. That's great. <laughs> right. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for having me. Just make sure you guys, you know how to break it. We thought it was the rose okay. between okay. the thorns. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, listen, before we start, I wanted to let you know, uh, you may notice we are missing the House Minority Leader, Blake Filippi. Rhode Island PBS, following the governor's recent emergency order, requires that everyone who comes into our building either wear a mask or show proof of vaccination. In order to do this show the way we do it, unmasked, around a set, all of our panelists have been showing their vax card upon entry to the building. That began in December. Representative Filippi declined to do that, saying it is private medical information, and that is why he is not with us here today. Having said that, Mike, let me, let me begin with you. You guys got off to a bang on the first day of the session. I know that was planned. Before we get into the ARPA money, what, the auto bill, you decide, there was much discussion about this in the offseason. You decided to override the veto. What changed? That bill went down consistently. What was different in your mind this year? Well, the bill passed the Senate uh, overwhelmingly during the session, and the governor vetoed it. It was a good consumer protection piece of but legislation. But compared to years before, where the, the critics had said that it would it would raise insurance rates and all that, you'd always been on board on it? I, I'd always supported the bill. I was always for the consumers, protecting the consumers. This would allow if someone into a body shop and they didn't want to do the work from, they can get that work done. I mean, it, protection of the consumers was the most important thing about that legislation. Obviously, it's big corporate American insurance versus the little mom and pop working auto body shops. What about the word that it, that it could potentially lead to higher insurance rates? I just don't see that. I mean, I, I agree with Leader McCaffrey. It's about consumer protection. We had some out-of-state insurers, some rogue actors who didn't want to pay for, for certain claims that are being made based on premiums that were already paid. So if the premiums, and this is the a testimony from the insurance industry, the insurance industry themselves said that these were usual and customary charges paid in the regular course. Those are their words. So based on that, if they don't want to pay for something that people already paid for premiums, that's a real consumer protection problem in the Legislator Act. I know you weren't there for the vote, but certainly this has been an issue yeah, in the Yeah, I Senate. mean, in Rhode Island, it has the highest rates in, in the country, one of the highest rates in the country. That's always a concern, uh, but uh, certainly there's two sides of the story here. In, 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 in looking at the legislation, there was a consumer protection aspect of the legislation. Uh, listen, the legislation was vetted, it had a, uh, public hearings, and at the end of the day, the, the General Assembly chose to override the veto. A lot of the so-called off-season was spent, uh, spent discussing how do we spend this big 
cache of federal money. For the first time in a long time, we haven't talked about a $500 million or $250 million structural <clears> deficit. <throat> so it's kind of an embarrassment of riches at this point, but that means everybody wants a piece of the pie. So as you look at this, and you're hearing from the, the Rhode Island Foundation has weighed in and others. What is your feeling as we approach this ARPA money to be distributed? What, what's the larger view that you're looking at? So we in the House take very seriously our role in the budget. And this um, ARPA dollars, American Rescue Plan dollars, present a once-in-a-generation opportunity to invest in Rhode Island and help with the recovery. Uh, I think you just saw last week on the first day of session, we invested $119 million in helping Rhode Islanders to, to recover uh, on an emergency basis, focused on housing, childcare, social services, support for small businesses. But as we look forward to the million, billion dollars that's left, we want to be uh, deliberate. We want to focus on impact, on equity, on transparency and sustainability. Those are very important things. And so we've been taking testimony and ideas from all across the state. You mentioned the Rhode Island Foundation, the AFL-CIO. On our portal website, we have over 40 ideas that have been submitted already. We expect there are going to be more. And we want to make sure that when we invest these dollars, it's transformative because this is a truly a, a, a once-in-a-generation opportunity for us in the state. Chris is right. A lot of time has been spent on the first $115 million, uh, making sure that it, it, it does the right things for our, our communities, uh, you know, addressing affordable housing, insurance, child care development, all the right things. And a lot of time was spent by the finance committees looking at ways and working with the nonprofits, working with um, many of the constituencies we have in our communities on how to spend the money. There's a lot more left, and certainly we don't want to have to give it back to the federal government. We want to make sure we use it, we use it wisely. Um, also, there's another component in making sure when we do spend it, um, we can sustain that. If we fund a program, if we fund positions, can we sustain that in the outcoming years when we don't have that federal money? So I'm very, very confident with the deliberate process that's taken <laughs> place both in the House and Senate. We'll do so uh, um, accordingly and, and, and responsibly, and at the same time addressing the many issues that many of our constituencies face right now, especially during COVID, you know, uh, unemployment, um, um, childcare, affordable housing, insurance. There's a number of, of, of ways we can, we can meet those needs of our, our constituencies. I, I concur with both Chris and Dennis that the legislature went through a deliberative process to spend the money. We're going to continue to do that, and we should make sure that Whatever we spend the money on, we're not creating deficits in the out years. There, there is some irony here, though, Mike, because a year ago, Governor Mundo here, they, the legislature basically <clears throat> sat on the sidelines. And you got some heat for that. And I understand we're in the middle of a pandemic. There really wasn't a roadmap for that. But some of these groups, like for affordable housing and small businesses, are saying now the legislature wants to be deliberative. What do you, what do you say to those uh, I, I think you got to look at the entire process. The process starts with the governor giving us a proposal that we can start the study. The Senate Finance Committee spent over 28 hours during the fall vetting this proposal that the governor came up with and amended it and in our eyes made it a better proposal. Understood, but none of that happened a year ago. Governor Rundo basically called all the shots. You exceeded that to her. It, it still went through the uh, legislative process, the budget process to get approved. I mean, there was a lot of work going on between the House Finance Committee, the Senate Finance <laughs> Committee, and the administration to come up with that. I mean, one, one of the issues, people are saying, why is the budget go up so much last year? Well, you have to look during the pandemic, unemployment runs through the state government, right. so it went up substantially. That's a line item that has to be balanced. There's out. a lot of money coming into the state. Uh, there's also some infrastructure money coming into the state. There was also a big chunk of money that went to cities and towns. So over the past year or so, we received quite a bit. Plus, we, our revenues are pretty strong. So far, the numbers show strong revenue growth in the state. 
a uh, few hundred million dollars. So I, I, I think it's very crucial the General Assembly pay, play a very important role in how the money is to be spent. I think there's another way to look at this as well. By being deliberate, we have multiple programs that are going to the federal government right now. Infrastructure, there's still Build Back Better in the works. And as a result of us being deliberate, one area where we, we've seen a benefit is the health lab. There was a proposal last year to use $87 million of the billion dollars on a health lab. Fortunately, with our federal leadership and our state leadership, we were able to get a separate grant apart from those dollars to build a new health lab in, in Rhode Island. So that freed up an additional $87 million we can use on other things, child care, affordable housing, support for businesses, um, support for social services that are critical for the recovery here in the state. And the same with transportation. There was a tranche of money that came in on that infrastructure bill. So not that long ago, the, the state budget was $9.2 billion. I understand, and people, it's kind of, uh, people, moving parts that are tr uh, sometimes hard to keep track of. Now it's up to 13, and you're going to have that federal money plus a little bit of the, uh, the surplus going forward. At what point do you reach a point, like you said, Dennis, you don't want to have it that, that these programs are going to be on your head. That's a 40% increase. Does the budget baseline, once the federal money comes back, does it stay at 13? Does it come back to 12? Does it come back to 11? We, we have to be very careful with that. I, I did vote against the budget, and my caucus did as well. A year ago. Uh, a year ago. Uh, because session. of that, the, the increase in, in the spending was, was a little too high. But it's kind of hard to know what it is, right, right? because and, and of the unemployment. Right. And certainly through. there was money from, from the federal government. I understand that. But I, I think the point, that the, the point I, I brought up earlier was if we do spend money today, free money coming from the, not, not free money, money from the federal government, nothing's free, we, we're taxpayers, we pay federal taxes, money coming in from the federal government, we have to ensure that whatever program we fund or whatever positions we, we fund, we can sustain that in future years because the money probably won't be there. What about that, Mike? I, I agree with that, Dennis, but our finance committee does a thorough job vetting the budget right. and spending the money as we see appropriately working with the House. Are, are there programs in the future that may have to be cut back? I'm sure there will be, but we hope they aren't programs that are critical to the children of the state of Rhode Island, the families of the state of Rhode Island, and we should continue to proceed with those. What do you make of uh, Speaker Sakarchi? You've, I'm sure, had discussions with him. He sat on this set with your boss and with um, Governor uh, McKee a couple of months ago and said, investment, not spending. And that's the word that he's used. So is that the approach you're looking at to make one, potentially one-time investments, but that won't bind you in future years? Well, we want to be sustainable. I think that's important. I think that Rhode Islanders, if there's programs, they want to be sure that they're not only available today but in the future. So I think that's about about uh, supporting the people in our state that need the help the most by being sustainable. But also we got to look at impact. I think Speaker Chikarchi has been clear. He wants these dollars to be used in a way that can be impactful, focus on equity and sustainability and transparency. You know, we and the, uh, the Senate does this as well. We in the House, we've had multiple hearings leading up to the use of the first 10 percent of the ARPA dollars. We expect to have more hearings once the governor unveils his budget. And we look at not only the budgetary proposals, but the proposals in the ARPA dollars so that we are, we are being in a transparent and we're taking testimony from Rhode Islanders on what they want these dollars to be spent on. And there's no question, the, both Senate and House have spent countless hours in finance committee and other committees on, on the, the process. And no off-season anymore is like no, uh, no, it, 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 no, tells it, us. Countless hours were spent, and, and both committees deserve a lot of credit. And the, you know, the experts come in, and it, the process was, was open, uh, public uh, input, uh, uh, even during COVID. Um, no question. And I do totally agree that we have to spend it that 
in ways where we get the best impact, you know, whether it be dealing with, you know, small businesses, childcare, work, work development, um, whatever it is. And we have a pretty good handle on that working with partners in our communities. Mm -hmm. And those partners are either nonprofits and other organizations. And I think that partnership is, is so far, I think, has worked. What do you view as the timetable? Now, some of this money doesn't have to, have to be spent until two or three years out. So I understand the deliberative process, but how do you address the immediate and then the long term? Well, I, I know that the Senate president and the speaker have spoken that they anticipate that they'll be letting the money out in different uh, forms along the way, depending on where it's needed most, what programs are available, and what they can use it for and get the best bang for their buck. A lot of discussion about affordable housing, rightly so. I mean, it's been an issue we've been dealing with, and particularly recently the, with the rental rates and everything else. For each of you, what does affordable housing look like? You talk about it here. Is it construction? Is it rent subsidies? Is it how do you actually use those dollars, Dennis? What do you think? I think it's I think it's everything. You know, rent, uh, new construction, um, helping those that are in existing homes uh, being able to afford. Inflation is at an all-time high. Building material is up, fuel is up. Um, so those who presently live in a home are having trouble affording living in a home. People who want a home for their families are having a difficult time, especially now that the prices have skyrocketed. And people who are in rental, the, the numbers are high. So I think it, it's a, right across the board. And there are people in Rhode Island that need help. What does affordable housing look like to you? Well, uh, when Speaker Shikarchi became Speaker a year ago, working with our caucus, we came together and we talked about housing. And housing was a priority for him, and it's been a priority for our caucus. And it has been for a number of years for Joe. And, and if you look back over the last year, we've made inroads in many different ways. We started off with a $65 million affordable housing bond. We followed up with the first permanent uh, stream of funding for affordable housing. We banned um, discrimination based on source of income. And now we're looking at pre-funding $25 million in um, affordable housing uh, construction. Additionally, we have to look at permanent supportive housing, housing for people experiencing homelessness. And uh, the legislature has been working on that, uh, programs to make sure that people can have a place to stay that is warm and, and safe and dry, because that is critical to having a job, to raising a family, to aging with dignity in our state. I, I agree with both Dennis and Chris, especially with respect that we should be doing more with respect to construction, not necessarily new construction, but maybe retrofitting a lot of uh, old mills and things of that nature. I know in Warwick they're talking about near the airport uh, redoing one of the hotels to make it low, the price is not so high for rental in, in that area. But in addition to that, we have to help assist people. I go to court once in a while and you see that in the third floor, second floor in Kent County Courthouse, they have a program right there to help people, assist them to get rent relief. Wow. So that they do have money available for people, and they're taking advantage of it. There's usually a line of people there who are looking for the assistance. You know, years ago, the state set out the 10% uh, of uh, housing stock in every community. I think only two communities meet that. It may be Central Falls and Woonsocket. Is that 10% a, a realistic goal? I, I think it's a number that was came up with, and we have to strive for that number, and hopefully we can yeah. reach that number. The closer we get to that number, the better off it is for the whole state of Rhode Island. COVID. <clears throat> kind of hard. We're, we're 15 minutes into the show. We haven't really talked about it. Uh, Chris, you and I were talking off camera. Well, I know the Senate met at Rick. Everybody's trying to keep, the, you know, in-class school and trying to make uh, 
uh, going to a restaurant, not as onerous. What is the state house going to look like this session? Again, I know everything changes. There could be other variants, but at this snapshot in time, what are you thinking? Well, we've been keeping an eye on this on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, we're following the guidance that's coming out of the uh, governor's office and the Department of Health. And I just want to say the loss of Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott is a huge loss for the state. She was a tremendous leader in a time of, of crisis in this state. I wish she would stay. She was just fantastic at, at her job. And I think what we're looking to do is analyze this on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. We're hoping to have uh, committee hearings that are going to be both remote and in person to begin, and we'll be guided by the guidance we get from the governor's office as we move forward. Where do all that plexiglass go? Is it in the basement somewhere? The $166,000 of plexiglass? Do you have it at the ready, ready to go? Well, we, you know, we removed that last year, and because the, we worked with the Department but of Health, you and they said, back, I mean, is that an option if you bring it back? I mean, is the goal to try to stay in session as much as possible? It, the goal is to stay in session, but we've talked to the Department of Health, and they didn't see that as adding very much. As long as people are masked, and we've we've required members to be masked, there's some members that, notwithstanding that requirement, have refused to be masked. But really, at this point, given the COVID surge, we're really looking for people to comply with these rules to, to get through this as soon as possible. Hopefully, the numbers will come down in the next few months and we can we can adjust based and on And I that. know the speakers tried to use the carrot rather than the <clears throat> stick. At some point, do you have to use the stick or just people are going to do what they want to do? Well, we've, we've worked with members that, are, that also want to be separated from those that don't want, don't want to wear masks by allowing them to vote within the room but off to the side. So we're really trying to use many different ways to accommodate people and to make sure that we're maximizing the health and safety of our membership and the public. We, we've been fortunate in the Senate that everyone's been uh, masked up as well as the uh, Senate president is offering everyone the opportunity to uh, do a rapid test before we go into session and I believe most members are taking advantage of that and some members have gotten test results and left the building as a result of those test results so obviously it's working there. But I, I know that he said he's not wild about the ventilation he said something that all of us have known for years right and he said it publicly it's not great ventilation up there. No it's not it's not. There's a lot of hot air up there. No, well, that's <laughs> that, that, well there's only so much we can do about that. Any thoughts about going back to Rick or are you going to try to do it in this? The, I, I know that the Senate president is, is looking at that option but his intent this year is to stay in the state house as long as is possible but since we're talking about COVID we really should think about the teachers and the nurses who go into work every day and what they go through and we should really appreciate what they're doing they're doing a lot more than us going into the state house they're facing it every day we've gone through some unprecedented times none of us have ever been through what we've gone through uh, with the pandemic and COVID um, the water's uncharted um, and uh, there are many people out there who have worked tirelessly throughout the pandemic, nurses, teachers, first responders, um, many people. And, uh, you know, certainly our hats go off to those folks who have been and in the front And you're worried line. about burnout for them, you? Know, you, you? Burnout's occurring. Burnout's mm -hmm. occurring. People have left their jobs. People have retired early. It's happening everywhere. It's so, I mean, these are uncharted waters. Um, we have to help them as much as we can. They provide crucial service mm -hmm. in the front line. Um, but, uh, the thing is, there are a lot of unknowns out there. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I mean, it's it just, it's uh, uncharted waters. Mike, one of the things that the Senate president and you have talked about is potential loan forgiveness for nurses and teachers. With the, and that's a great incentive. So, I mean, that's a nice way to use the money, incentivize and get mm -hmm. them. Can you elaborate on that, what that would look like? Well, I, I think we're trying to see how we're going to do it. But obviously, there's a need for nurses and the, the sciences and maths for teachers and we, we want to get people to stay in Rhode Island go to school in Rhode Island if they go to school in Rhode Island if they work in Rhode Island 
they, they would get so much of their loans forgiven over time. We see at the hospitals the critical need for nurses. I mean, they're offering nurses bonuses of twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars just to sign on and start working in the hospitals. Yeah, it's also nursing homes. Yeah. Um, those who care for the elderly and uh, developmentally disabled, uh, they're facing the same problems. What about uh, what about the health care situation? I mean, it's really, and, and there's two things going on. You have the, the immediate with kind of the burnout. I know the federal uh, people are coming from FEMA. But in terms of the hospital merger, now I know you guys are not directly involved at this point, but what are your thoughts as you look at, at the lifespan and Care New England process going forward? So there's not much to comment on right now. The uh, Federal Trade Commission is taking a look at that. The, we've heard in the news as being reported that they expect some sort of decision to happen in the next few months. But uh, I, you know, I know Speecher Karchi uh, prioritizes patient care, costs, uh, making the, the, uh, the nurses and doctors supporting them. And I think we, we, we prioritize that as a leadership team because we hear that from our members. So as it moves forward, then there may be a next step after this, but we'd want to get input, obviously, from the Department of Health, from the Attorney General's office. There are many people with a role before you ever get to the legislature. So there's really not much to comment on this time. Right. There's not much to comment at this time, but one thing we should keep in mind is the landscape of healthcare changed immensely. You know, 20 years ago we had independent hospitals who didn't have to think of that. Westerly's <laughs> now with who, Yale New Haven, right? right? Who so, did, well, South right? County, I think, is the only still independent it's, it's one, independent. right? It's independent. So the, the 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 landscape has changed uh, immensely, and, it, and it's going to keep on changing. But at the end of the day, we have to be cognizant of the fact we have to have affordable health care for our, our people uh, in our state of Rhode Island, available and affordable. Mike, the one uh, issue that's going to be big, and it was potentially going to be in the fall session, marijuana legalization. And I was thinking about this. We have all been around long <laughs> enough. Do you remember, Dennis, back in the mid-'90s when they talked about the casinos? Remember there were five Oh, gambling and casinos and whatever. <laughs> now it's kind of ho-hum. You remember three or four years ago, the, the thought of even legalizing recreation mar <laughs> marijuana, let alone the mm -hmm. medical stuff, um, now everybody's kind of yeah. like, well, let's, let's get going. So the main difference now is how you license and how you control the providers, right, between the Senate and what the governor's talking about. But what I will say is during the off-season or during the fall... No off-season. That's right, no off-season, according to the Speaker. <laughs> we, we had numerous meetings with the Speaker and uh, Senator Slater and Senator Miller and staff to discuss the bill and go through the bill and come up with uh, solutions for the bill. <clears throat> but the, the governor's office based on what they've told us and what they've indicated to us is they have a concern with creating a commission to oversee the uh, ma marijuana. And that's what the, the Senate president the, the, wants the, to do. The Senate president wants a commission. He feels it's important to have it independent of a state agency. He also feels it's important that it not be in one age in DBR where a new DBR director could come in and change the whole direction of marijuana, whereas if you set up a commission and have commission members come in at different time frames, their terms, you're creating continual stable ground there. In addition, I know there's been discussions as to what the commission do, maybe have like a hybrid with the with DBR. And I think that's what we're looking, we'll look maybe looking towards right now. You gotta look at all the good things in the build up. We're creating social equity licenses. We're, cre we're creating licenses in different communities. In addition, we're allowing for people to expunge certain criminal records from their crimes from their records to make them be able to uh, get into the marijuana industry. We're not putting any impediments on people coming in. If they have a history where they may have a criminal past with, on their record, that's not going to be an impediment. That would be something that would be re reviewed and if they meet the qualifications, be approved for a license. 
Yeah, I, I want to commend Leader McCaffrey and um, Senator Miller, and also on our side, Representative Slater, and I know the Speaker's been working on this. You know, I remember those early days when I first um, got elected in 2010. There was only a handful of us, including me, that would sign bills to, uh, to legalize cannabis. It's great to see how the um, mood in society has what changed. What do you think's changed? What do you think I think that people just <clears throat> understood that, look, this is something that is in our society. It's across the border. It's a 10-minute drive from many of the uh, urban locations in Rhode Island that live on the border of either Massachusetts or Connecticut, it's available and the state should have a, a, a the speaker always says that we, we may not be the first to do it, but we want to do it the best. And I know the work that the Senate and the House has been doing is to come up with a framework. Once that framework is, is uh, introduced, there will be <coughs> robust hearings. Uh, cannabis touches many, many different places. It touches uh, the judiciary, health, law enforcement. There's many different aspects to it. We expect there to be very robust hearings and a lot of work's happened in the background, but it is great to see how this has changed over time, having sort of lived that from the beginning. Have your views changed? Yes. Like many issues, views change. Um, I was vehemently opposed to it. I have an open mind going in, and at the end of the day, the obviously I'd like to see the final bill. A lot of work has been put in the bill, both in House and Senate, and uh, Ultimately, what's in the bill and how the bill is presented is how it, I Senator would Miller and I, last year, we yep. went and visited a couple of places in Massachusetts. And Were they offering free samples? They didn't offer us any free <laughs> samples. But it was amazing the number of Rhode Island cars that were coming into the parking lot, parking lot to pick up uh, product. And uh, that's tax money going out of state. Not that the tax revenue is the reason we're doing it. We, th we think it's important to Do you have, have a good a gauge on tax revenue? Because I know when they started in Massachusetts, <clears throat> it was so heavily taxed that we joked about it on this set, that you could just go to your dealer and get it for half price. And there were these long lines of like, you know, mm -hmm. three and four hours or whatever. You have to reach the sweet spot on pricing, right? You have to do that with anything. You have to do that with anything in our yeah. state. Cigarettes, we're, we're, we're gasoline. Looking, we're looking at what other other states are yeah. doing in the region, and we're going to be competitive with them. Let's so. do this. Uh, I, I'll keep an open mind on on this. Uh, again, uh, in the past, I've been opposed. Okay. I'm going into this with an open mind. I'd like to see the final piece of legislation. The uh, let, let's do this. We only have uh, three minutes left. Quickly, is there anything uh, flying under the radar? That, you know, we talk about the big issues here. Legislation that you're interested in that maybe you want to highlight here that people might not otherwise know about. Sure. I mean, I want to highlight the Act on Climate, which was passed last year, the most important climate bill in the history of Rhode Island. Uh, and it's, the next step is implementation. This is critical. 2021 was the warmest day in the history of Rhode Island in recorded history only beat uh, and it beat the prior year of 2020 climate change is happening it's here Rhode Island has got to be a leader because we're the ocean state we're right on the water and a way to look at that is a green and healthy school initiative that would uh, invest in rebuilding our schools our schools are over uh, 50 years old on average they use hundred thousand metric tons of co2 every year we spend 58 38 million dollars every year uh, uh, is putting energy in those schools. If we decarbonize them and rebuild them, make them better places to live uh, uh, in our neighborhood to to, uh, to educate our children, that's very important. You know your statistics on that. I'm very impressed. Boom, 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 <laughs> yeah. boom. Probably managing the floor debate. Um, what do you think, Mike? I, I'd like to continue with the justice reinvestment, but look, focus it more on women's issues. We want to be able to get women so that they don't get incarcerated, that they can stay home with their family unit and make sure the family unit stays together. There's a lot of programs that we can expand on to take care of that. I remember us talking about that several mm. years ago, and then it, it was mm. nice to see that it went yeah. through. Mm. So I, I will work with Michael uh, again on, on some of that legislation. Um, you get the last 30 seconds. I, I, there's a lot of good things happening. How we're going to spend the federal monies coming in, make sure we get the biggest bang for our buck, and uh, we do so and, and hits uh, the, the constituencies. It has a full impact. Um, taking a look at 
executive powers as it pertains to emergency powers. I mean, we all recognize the fact oh, that... Oh, we didn't even get to that. We're well, we recognize, we recognize the fact that the governor, mm -hmm. he or she, needs the powers during, during certain uh, emergencies in our state. But I guess the question is, when should that end? Because we have a legislative process that's open, uh, where public input is, is sought. Um, and then the question is, where does that end, that, that particular um, uh, executive power, legislative power yeah, during yeah. emergencies? And also, you know, where can we help small businesses and other types of businesses and people who are struggling with taxes now that we have a uh, pretty strong tax revenue? Where can we uh, look at uh, help with tax relief? All right, gentlemen, it is a quick 30 minutes. We appreciate it. Mike, good to see you again. Chris, you, welcome. Thank we'll you. see you hopefully next year unless there's some coup and they take over and you're no longer the majority leader, but we trust that won't happen. And Dennis. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Yep. Folks, uh, great to be back with you. It's going to be a very interesting 2022. We will be here every week to cover it as it develops. We hope you have a good week and come back next week as a lively experiment continues. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.